0: Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best panels pertaining to RPG design and publishing. This has been made possible by Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Now to the show! Episode 49, GM-less role-playing games and other variations. Recorded at Metatopia 2013. Presented by Brendan Taylor, John Stravopoulos, and everyone who attended the panel.
1: Awesome. Are we ready? I, whoa, 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 whoa. So, uh, what
2: is this? This is the this is the uh, panel on GMless play and. Other variations And other variations, sounds good yeah. uh,
1: So why do they need us? They don't
2: So uh, you guys are going to run the,
0: the panel
1: <laughs> Oh my god Okay, so it's, it's late it. here at Metatopia For those listening <laughs> on, on the internet And uh, there's wine on the table uh, I personally am straight edge uh, But I, whoa
3: Three GMs Yeah What?
1: That's a variation That is a variation uh, well and honestly why I'm on the
2: panel, because I've actually never written a GM-less game.
1: Wow, I've turned GM games into gm games, so that counts. But that said, let's pull back. Does it count if you killed the GM? <laughs> uh, no, and in fact, uh, this written. is being recorded, oh, okay. so that's evidence. I've run, yeah. yes. Okay, pull back. Who are you? I'm Brennan Taylor, goddammit. And what makes you the right person to be on this panel? Uh, I like gm games. Really? That's, that, yeah, that's, that's it? No. I, I also wrote a game that has two
2: GMs.
1: I mean, that counts as other, right? That, it's that's GMless the, that, and or that, right? I
2: assume that was the other variations. That was the other variations portion of this program. Excellent.
1: Uh, my name is John. I have uh, I actually technically have written GMless games, but they were educational games, so I don't know if they count. They count. Uh, but uh, I, I am known for taking GM games and making them GMless because I am the laziest GM in the world. That's an official title. So... Why are you here? Are you pro-GM, are you anti-GM, or other?
3: Which, which fist is pro-GM?
1: No, no fist. They can't <laughs> see that at home. They can only hear it.
3: I, I, um, I like games with GM. I like all games, but uh, I tend wow. to prefer games
1: with GMs. Well, that's, uh, that's a really weak answer.
3: I can
1: make more no, no, we'll get like you washy. I like
3: exploring new play styles. That's why I'm yeah. I mean, yeah, we yeah. We're through. done with
1: you, buddy. We're moving yeah. on. We're moving on. <laughs> uh, what about you? I
4: came here for the wine. Um, Good but thing also, I brought some. Uh, <laughs> also, uh, if every if no
1: one is a GM, then maybe everyone's a GM. Oh. Okay, we're moving on. Uh, what about you? GM, pro GM, anti GM? What's the deal? Um, I'll
3: be very Zen.
1: No, that's a good question. Good question. That's actually yeah. the best we've had so far.
5: Well, uh what everybody anybody else to step up your game. <laughs> I not a GM-less role-playing game today, so I figured it would be a good idea for me to see what people think
1: about them. Awesome. Well, you're going to get the honest truth one way or the other. Yeah, this, is, you. this, this is all the people who play
0: GM-less <laughs> games. Well, you're screwed. <laughs> that
1: is so not true. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, pro-GM, anti-GM, other?
0: then there's obviously some point where they go, I don't know any of you. When do you come upon that?
1: Portion? Sure. You know, That's a good question to that? too. That's a great question. Uh, in fact, don't let us forget that. Yeah, We're oh. going to answer it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? He won't. I know. I'm
4: exceptionally pro dm Oh. Oh, okay.
1: Um, it's a good thing someone took a stand.
4: Except... <laughs> ...where You're the end. players ruin it. <laughs> oh, that's a good yeah. question. Oh, that's a good, a good one, too. X-Card didn't help
1: that, actually. No, it so doesn't. Oh, no. oh no. no. it doesn't. No. Wow, experience. What about you? Uh,
2: I think for me, it depends on the mode of play. For a one-session game, I think I prefer gm list. For a long-term campaign, I think I prefer something with a gm the exception I think would be investigative games. I really don't like
1: GMless games in that mode. Hmm. Mm. Sounds like you're speaking from experience.
4: What? I just think um. the audience is really smart. Yeah, this we audience really, is smart enough. We have a small the, but really good well, audience here. <laughs> <one>. So <laughs> here <laughs> wine, I don't know. That's true. There might <laughs> be wine
1: all around. Excellent. So let's get into the thick of this. Uh, someone asked a question where do we draw the line? Brendan, no pressure.
2: I, is there a line? I don't think there's a line. What is there's it a, It's a
1: spectrum. It's a spectrum. So there are many lines is what you're saying. That's and right. They've been blurred. Exactly. With the blood of many broken games.
0: <laughs> Fine. I'll take the raise to the second dimension
1: and raise it to the third. Okay. It's a
2: cube. It's a, cube. It's a tesseract. So what do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? I mean that there. are uh, so, so to answer that question, you have to dig down a little deeper and ask the question, what's a
1: GM? Well, that's good. We have plenty of wine, so exactly. if you don't go deep enough, we're going to make you go all the way.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to X-card that. <laughs> this is why we need the X-card. And the X-card front bell. Right that's now. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. So uh, what a GM is really, when you get down to it, is a series of responsibilities and tasks, right? We tend to invest one player with a set of these responsibilities in most game designs. Those tasks and responsibilities can be spread around. Can we give some quick examples of those? Sure. Uh, hosting. Hosting. That's one of the things that a GM can do. Uh, a GM can also uh, be the person who calls for roles. Sure. Right? A GM is the person. can be the person who interprets the outcome of your actions if you're a player, right? The person who buys the books. The person who buys the books. The person who pitches the game that they're going to play to try and get players to play it. The person who
1: reads the game.
2: The person who knows the rules. Sure. <laughs> the person
1: who
4: writes the game. Whoa. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: person sure. who does the prep. Yes.
2: A lot of times the GM is the person who does the prep. The, the person who defines the, the setting. Yep. The person, set- person who schedules the game. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, in a lot of, a lot of games, the GM, it, basically, the, the, the traditional dichotomy is the player is, I'm in charge of this character, and the GM is, I'm in charge of everything but the player's characters, right? Well, that's not how you have to do it, and those, those responsibilities can be distributed. So the reason that it's a spectrum is you can take some of those responsibilities away and spread them around and keep some. Sure. Or you can uh, spread all of them around uh, in a game like Fiasco, everybody's participating in that, in that way.
1: Sounds great. So uh, why don't we start easy and say, why is having a GM a good idea?
2: Having a GM is a good and I, I design a lot of games with GMs, so obviously I, I like them. So there's got to be a reason for it. One of the reasons that I have for it is that I feel like a GM can bring a certain amount of um, coherence. To a session, right? Having someone whose responsibility it is to be in charge of all that stuff keeps things together, keeps things from wandering off, keeps people from going too gonzo and wrecking your game. And
4: continuity.
2: <laughs> and it, continuity, sure. And the GM is also uh, allows players, it frees players up to concentrate on one thing, which is their character.
1: What about uh, like a game where investigation matters? exploration immersion?
2: Yeah, immersion is a tough one because I don't know well, exactly they, what
1: people mean by that. You so. don't
2: have to, it's very, it can be very personal. That's right. You don't have to speak to that. Um, but yeah, exploration and investigation, sometimes it's very useful, like you were saying, you don't like games that don't have GMs for that because it's useful for a GM who actually knows what's going on, right? right? Uh, if you're doing a distributed, you know, no GM game that's about <coughs> investigation, then what you're doing is exploring the mystery together and coming up with a solution together as a group. Sometimes that's not as satisfying as knowing that there's an actual right answer.
1: Right? So Awesome. Uh, and I know, uh, in the, of course, there's always exceptions, and there are ways to take that, what the GM does and put that into the game itself. You could design a game, for example, where via some sort of mechanic via some sort of, uh, like it could be rolling on a chart, whatever it might be, you might determine who the killer is. Absolutely, Dirty Secrets. Dirty Secrets is a good example. Yeah. Uh, So there's technology to uh, address all these things, right? And you were talking about uh, you like to have a jam for the purpose of of having consistency, keeping the game from going gonzo, things of that nature. Uh, but that doesn't have anything to do with buying the books. That has nothing to do with hosting. It has nothing to do with scheduling. Right? Absolutely right. So uh, even in those cases, you could distribute all that. If I'm playing a slightly uh, more rules-heavy kind of tactical game, let's say like I'm playing D&D, like, or D&D 4th Edition, let's say. Uh, in D&D 4th Edition, and I think this is even in the GM chapter or the book, uh, it says that you as a GM who's running the game, who's in charge of the world, do not have to actually be responsible for moderating the use of the rules. Uh, You do not have to be the one who calls uh, what the rules are, how they're applied, because the game itself does such a pretty good job of clearly stating when rules are applied and how, that the game itself handles that.
2: Right, yeah, because one of the GM responsibilities you can have is deciding when rules are triggered, but if the rules are very clear on when they're triggered, then you don't need the GM to make that call. And they can still play the world absolutely, and in fourth edition and uh, other D and D games, a lot of times what the GM's doing there is providing challenge for the characters. Their their job is to make things difficult, to put obstacles in their way that uh, make it entertaining to overcome them. So yeah, they're they're like an adversary basically.
1: Sounds good. It, snor- we're talking <laughs> about GMlessness, right? Or we're going to explore that very soon. So let's open things up to the audience. I see there was at least one person who had a question. Uh, we're not the ones who control all the authority, or if we do, we're allowing you to come <laughs> and take it. Shit, we're going Let's distribute it, <laughs> it now. So right. what was your question?
3: It wasn't a question. It was uh, an article. Um, what? Starting to Collaborate, written back in 2000, by Ian Millington from the UK, who is a PhD in artificial intelligence and was thinking about this uh, Mostly, this is... So this is 2000, 2001. I had to go in the Wayback Machine because his website's no longer here. But he has some awesome pictures and stuff um, uh, that I recall because they were so stunning and I interviewed him once. But um, he basically was talking about this in relation to like you know traditional games and roles. Um, and I just wanted to kind of bring his thoughts, if I might, uh, for just a moment. He, he basically says... He, he's talking about how to go from a from a GM-centric to... To getting these roles understood and then passed out to the players over time, it doesn't have to be all at once. And and again, he was thinking specifically of D &D, and D. The fiasco wasn't out in two thousand, but his idea, if I might, uh, go for it. Read very briefly. He, uh,
1: but do it dramatically.
3: Okay. Well, being English, he was great at characterization of of categorization of various terms. And so these are the four roles he came up with as a game master. Now, I think the organizer and stuff like that that people were discussing. The person who buys the Cheetos is very important as well. Um, He had chairperson, referee, game engine, and director. So the chairperson is the person responsible for the order and focus of the gaming group. Uh, They ask what their characters are doing and make sure everyone gets equal chance to contribute. Uh, This is like basically a chairperson in the meeting. uh, Directing the social aspect of the group. Um, Referee is directing the social aspect of the game. Uh, they're supposed to mediate and have the final word on disagreements. The game engine, uh, the person who interprets the rules into the game. Uh, I want to do this. That's a plus two. Make a roll. Uh, director, guiding the story, the person who does the who, who strings the events together, uh, who, who who does the NPCs and stuff like that. And his his model here was that basically over time your group can um, go from like. So, so the classic AD&D, you know, back in the 80s game was the players and then the, the game master was chairperson, referee, game engine, and director, and what we were discussing here just briefly uh, was the fact that you can offload the game engine parts to the players. Right. Have them roll the dice and have them uh, determine what the pluses and modifiers are going to be together. Uh, and GM, the GM, of course, shares a little bit of that, but then he goes you know, even further oh hippie wacky world oh my god where everyone is uh, special um, <laughs> so we have uh, this player not a GM is the chairperson and game engine and director this person is a director game engine referee director game engine director game engine so you can you can kind of split those up and he has text and stuff so yeah
1: and I mean this is uh, it can be pretty fluid right so one way that was approached is you don't have to distribute all at once you can do this over time uh, one thing is uh, I've been a part of uh, a lot of panels where people talk about how can I learn how to become a GM, right? And in a lot of those panels, one of the ways, one of the common answers I've given and others have given is to play Fiasco, which, funny enough, is a game technically that's GMless. but what it does is clearly distribute the tasks of being a GM across all the players in an easy way, so that someone who doesn't have experience being a GM could actually play that kind of game in a low-pressure situation that everyone is sharing and practice. So it can go either way, right? Yep. Do You want to say something?
0: Well, just a question. Yeah, go for it. Getting back to what I originally asked and what we're talking about here.
1: Take that authority. Control the focus. You're the director now.
0: <laughs> nice example. <laughs> <laughs> um, so from a design perspective, when, when you're putting something together, um, how do you know when you move to that GM-less system? Because it seems like what we're saying is a GM is only a series of respons- a, a set of responsibilities.
2: And well, I and sometimes in a design a you want one person to be to hold those responsibilities, right? Because you have a game design purpose for that. Um, but
0: what would like? Why? So what I'm saying is, what would that be, and why would we you well, make that decision as
1: opposed so, to? So, for example, uh, the previous panel we were on uh, was about uh, playtesting brutally, right? And the playtesting brutally panel uh, focused quite a bit on iterative design. So the idea is a lot of people have a goal, they like state right. their goal, they come up with a bunch of mechanics, they test them out. Usually, they have way more mechanics than they actually need, right? And what often happens is some of the best designs are designs done by reduction. You're taking things out, see what still services your goal, keep refining, keep refining. And, you know, we have technology, you can have save, easily save multiple drafts of your game. It's not like just because you remove some stuff, you can't just pull it back in. So one thing that I've heard from people who said, uh, when they decide, oh, am I going to be a GM game or GM less game? In fact, they don't decide that at all. That's not a goal for them. Right? The goal might be, I want a kind of game where you can all sit down and play out a medieval battle between two forces in this sort of terrain. Right? And whatever their goal is, they come up with the rules and if it makes sense for them to have a GM, uh, maybe they start with a GM right? and they're like, oh this is working pretty well but what if I take that role out? Right? Let, me, let me take that out, let me distribute it. Does it still work as well? Does it still fulfill my goals? If it does, great. If it doesn't, it's just another technique. It's just another tool,
0: right? So for instance, like okay, so let's take example of how uh, we came to live here, or sure. or bulldogs. I mean, why would you not look at that and say, well, you know what? It just makes it easier for the group all around if there is no GM. Um, well, how we came to live know, here is two GMs, why, right? Or why would you, why wouldn't you take the GM out of that equation? What do you get by having the GM as opposed to just saying, sure, everybody gets. It?
2: Right, Um, and in Bulldogs, one of the things that you get with the GM is that then the responsibility for coming up with adversity and enemies is not on the player's head, right? Because if you're playing a game where there's a lot of um, action and a lot of outside forces that are trying to harm or thwart the characters, I find that in general it's actually more fun if you're not generating those things yourself. Right? So that's one of the reasons that Bulldogs has a GM.
1: Plus um, outside, outside threats. Outside threats. You're threat. threat in space.
2: Yes. Exploration. Right. Huge. Exploration. Um, basically, those things are more fun if somebody else is providing them for you and all you have to concentrate on is how am I going to overcome this stuff rather than coming up with the ideas of the things that you have to overcome as well. It's sort right? of
0: the uh, chess principle. Right. The, yeah. It,
2: if a player is creating their own adversity, that's actually really boring. Mm-hmm. It's much more fun if someone else is providing that to you
3: right? Uh, oh, Sega.
2: Yeah, Paul Sega. Paul Sega, yeah. I will, I
1: will add that I personally don't believe that. No, I, I apologize, Paul. I like you wow. as a person. I know you
2: may not believe it. I believe it. But the, uh, the, the, what happened in How He Came to Live here is there's those, those players, while well, they, they take a GM role, they're actually not called GMs. They're called the inside player and the outside <laughs> player. And the reason for that is they have a very specific role in the game of what they're doing to keep the game going. And that game is all about uh, testing a character's limits. Right? Because if you've played How We Came to Live Here, you know that as a player, as a hero player, you always have available to you more resources. It's just a matter of whether or not you're willing to do the things that you have to do to get them. If you don't have someone pushing you as hard as they can, then you're not ever going to reach those limits and you're never going to test those limits, because the question that's being asked in that game is really, how far are you willing to go to get what you want? Uh, and so I that that game was always designed with a GM in mind, because I needed somebody there to be pushing those, you know, to, to be pushing the players as hard as they can to make them uh, use their resources to get what they want. But what was happening when I was in playtest is that a game would either become an inside game or become an outside game, because the players would all be start latching on to conflicts that were being introduced, and if they were initially inside conflicts, then that's what everybody would be concentrating on, only, only the things inside the village. If you're not familiar with how we came to live here, it's a uh, sort of Native American uh, fantasy, and you're playing characters inside a village, and... One of the players is the inside player, they take care of all of the relationships inside the village, all of the hierarchical things that you're dealing with, all of the societal things you're dealing with. And the other player is the outside player, which takes care of all the monsters and exterior threats that are coming in. And so they would either latch on to all those inside conflicts and play those, or they would latch on to the outside conflicts and it would be an all-outside game. And so the reason there's two of those is that I wanted, to, that I wanted someone who was going to be an advocate, in the game for the inside conflicts and an advocate for the outside conflicts. And those are their responsibilities. That's what they're thinking about. And that way, the game is much more balanced between inside and outside threats, which makes it a much more full... It's much more interesting when you're contrasting pressures coming from inside your community and pressures coming from outside your community. So does
0: theme drive...
2: Theme drove it absolutely in that game. 100%. And and I'm
0: currently
1: playing a How We Came to Live Here campaign. Uh, (laughs) And in that game... uh, the inside and outside players also bring in their own distinct flavor because of their style of running it, uh, and which is great because... Is
3: always the same two people in your case? Or do they uh, it's
1: always all? the same t- uh, two people. One person's <laughs> the inside, one yeah, person's the uh, outside
3: According out, to the rules,
2: once someone's decided to be the inside player, they're the inside player for that particular campaign. campaign. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. yeah, and uh, so it feels distinct, which adds to... Uh, I'm a player. Uh, I'm, an I- I'm a uh, hero, rather. Hero player. I'm a hero player. And uh, it feels different when I'm playing. Uh, it feels like if I'm going to be dealing with an outside threat, it feels a little bit more alien. It feels more unexpected. Uh, I feel like when I'm dealing with an inside threat, uh, it's going to be more about the connections being stressed between the different characters. So thematically, it's taking that theme and uh, it's driving it with emotion and using the mechanics to really build on that. And I feel that as a player..
0: I'm Go for it. Do you feel that GMless games require more of a level of mastery on the players?
2: Uh, actually, no, I don't. <coughs> because I've played Fiasco, and you can play with, play Fiasco with people who have never, ever played a role-playing game before. Okay. You don't need to be a master role-player to play
3: Fiasco. Right.
2: You just need to know what's expected of you.
3: At least the facilitator might, right? I mean, but
0: that is a gm
2: Sure. <laughs> uh, there are some things, there are some techniques in Fiasco that make it better. But you can play it without those techniques. And you can play it with people who've never ever played a role-playing game before. And somebody who has read the rules, and you can play. So I don't think think you need that.
4: Mastery of the game in terms of knowing the rules inside out or anything like that. I do think that in order to not be the player who ruins everything, you need to have the ability to have an understanding of the spirit.
2: Well, and I, I'll definitely one hundred percent say that there are techniques that make fiasco good or bad, but I don't think that you have to be a master of the game to play it, right? right. Um, and to get back to your original question of when do you, you know, how do you decide whether it's a GMless or a non-GMless game? Well, for me, I I, will dec- I would decide that a game is should be GMless when I've figured out that everything I'm having the GM do is already being done by somebody else, right? And and if if the design has reached that point and I'm like, oh, these responsibilities are all distributed. The GM is only doing this one little thing and it's really, you know, if that's all that they're going to do, they're going to be bored. Uh, I need to make sure that that gets distributed as well and it should be a GM-less game. I mean, that's
1: actually a huge point. Uh, And I've heard a couple people say this who went through that process. Mm -hmm. So I want to underline what you just said, which is sometimes you have a GM in the game. But you've ended up distributing so many of the GM's responsibilities that that little thing that the GM does doesn't really feel fun enough to justify having in the game. You'll be bored out of your mind. Right. Uh, so at that, that point, you might as well figure out how to distribute right. that, or let the system handle it, or somehow deal with it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Don't make someone sit there for four hours to do one thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the last playtest? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in that
0: playtest. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, so Fiasco is an interesting game. Let's, uh, let's talk about it a little bit. Sure. Uh, so you're saying that uh, Fiasco is the kind of game where even though it's gm uh, people with no experience can play the game, and it's generally not a problem, at least from a procedural standpoint, right? Right. There's always some level of skill with anything that you're picking up yeah, for the yeah. first time. Uh, but one of the ways that Fiasco achieves this is it's very clear about what you do, when, and how. Right. right. So, uh, and, and it's simple, and it's and it really focuses on a core experience. In fact, the word fiasco describes the game very well. Right. The pitch is very crisp, very clear. It's a Coen Brothers movie. Right. What's the tagline? Like a game
0: with uh, people with powerful ambition and poor impulse
1: control. Powerful ambition, poor impulse control. The word is fiasco. That des- even the visual design of the game. Reinforces all of that. It's just, I mean, obviously Morningstar is a really brilliant man. Yeah. Uh, so, and if he was here right now, I would give him a hug and then a suplex. I, don't care <laughs> I plan
2: to murder him and steal his powers.
1: Whoa. Uh, you better verify that that's how that stealing power thing works. Because otherwise, I don't know if it was worth it. Uh, so, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your <right. laughs> And in fact, uh, in fact, that's how a lot of that game works, right? A lot of that game works by seeding ideas that you will then continually to reincorporate, right? So it's uh, seeding those ideas you reincorporate from the name to the design to the visual of uh, the visual presentation, uh, the way that the. Uh, what do you call the play sets? Play sets, right? Yeah, play sets. So the play sets are very, very focused. So you're like, I'm gonna play a game that's you know, features a bank robbery in this sort of town and all the different words that you seed, right, to come up with what's happening fit and evoke that setting very well, very crisply. Right. And when it's your turn, uh, one of the things that it acknowledges is you know, sometimes a role playing game can be difficult for some people because they get put on the spot and they don't know what to say when it's their turn, right? So they're like, oh, it's my turn, but I have to come up with a bunch of stuff. Yes, Fiasco does a great job of saying, here's who your character is, here's how your character's connected to different people. Uh, You might have a drive, you might have a thing that you're after. Like It sets up all those things, but still, uh, there's player anxiety, right? Like Sometimes being put in the spotlight, you're like, oh, I don't know what to do, but they deal with that, right? Right. So how do they deal with it? How how does fiasco, fiasco deal
2: with that specifically?
1: Uh, by having the other players help them, basically, it's it's a collaborative. Effort. Well, it's a right. collaborative effort, and when it's your turn, you can decide: Am I going to frame the scene? Oh yeah, Or, right. I or am I going to have the other players frame the scene? Right. So, it's So absolutely- you can take that responsibility, right? The the because framing the scene is generally a
2: GM responsibility, right? So when you're when you when you're thinking about a role playing game and you're sitting down to play, uh, what happens? Right. The GM tells you where you are and what's happening. Right. Well, in Fiasco, yeah, you can either take that role for yourself or you can say, hey, everybody else, I don't have any ideas. Tell me where I am and what I'm doing. Uh, it does sort of have the uh, effect, like you, you trade that off for whether you decide whether you were successful or well, failed. It, it, it follows yeah. the,
1: the Paul Seger principle, whether you believe in that or not. Right. <laughs> the Paul Seger principle is if you're the author of your own adversity, it's boring. Yeah. Right. So if in Fiasco, you're like, I don't want to frame the scene whether I don't have an idea or I just don't want to do it, whatever it might be, if you don't frame the scene, you get to decide if it's going to be a positive or negative end right, right to that scene. But if you're the one to frame the scene, then like everybody just, else gets to decide whether exactly. It's so you're not doing everything right. Right, it's distributing them those things. It's keeping it fluid. It's keeping it dramatic uh, and exciting. Right. So that's amazing design. Like he and he had a very clear idea of what he wanted to achieve, and he was very Relentless in cutting out anything that didn't serve that idea. Yep. So again, Morningstar, I love you.
3: <laughs> he's not. A, he's not a god though. Just know that for every for every knocking out of the ballpark, he's got like ten corpses in the in the closet of games. You just don't ever the see
1: movies. them, or you do if you're I living. do. He
3: has run them locally.
1: So if you're a <laughs> so local a person, it, yeah. <laughs> he he, he <laughs> no longer has that mysterious. You know, kind of thing too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh. Just
0: a, a small correction. The uh, Sega principle, now that I can pronounce his name, I know what it sounds like. Sure. Uh, it's the, the author, um, it is boring uh, to be the author of your own adversity. It's, a, it's the boring are also to be the, the author of its resolution. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah correct. exactly. It's, it's, it's boring to be boring. the author of.
2: The author of getting both yourself into it the, and then now in trouble, right? Yeah. The 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 uh, <coughs> adversity that you have, as well as its re- resolution, yeah. So and I mean, my, it
3: mind. wasn't a big thing, but at the time there was one game that came out where you basically would say, "I'm in trouble," and then you roll the die and then describe how you got yourself out of trouble. And,
1: so. and you know, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of the word boring.
4: Stay
1: home and play that by yourself. Well, <laughs> well, so uh, I, this is exactly where, I'm gonna, where I was going to go with that, right? I'm not a fan of the word boring in this case. Uh, I think it's judgmental and I think it's subjective, right? Ultimately, if it's boring or not. uh, I think that what really what's going on there is if we're going to take advantage of the medium of a role-playing game, right? Which is a collaborative Which is a collaborative activity where there are multiple people playing together and there's interactivity and choice and so on and so forth, then it makes sense to have those two things separate. Otherwise, you could just be telling a story or be at home and Write something and so on. There should be a little lack of
0: control or something. I'm
4: also
0: not sure if "boring" was the exact word he used. Yes. Yeah, so, Paul, it was the word I used. So, uh,
2: we're, we're not afraid to knock it down, John. Whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. No problem. No problem. Uh, everybody, don't take our word for it. Look it up. Use Google. <laughs> That's what it's for. <laughs> That's what it's for. Oh, I see. You have another question.
4: Well, yeah. Of course.
0: Bring it. <laughs> Another thought that I, I've seen—how do you avoid the, the the pitfall? Well, I guess the pitfall of personal experience, So I've seen uh, uh, quite a few GMless games turn into non-roleplay games. What do you mean? Uh, where the the story is so centered on, uh, or the, the the game is so centered on uh, more narrative-like storytelling as we're just. Telling, you know, like, uh, writing a writing a short story of what happens next. Also passing the stick around. Yeah, and there's no role-playing. Or it's so focused on the brilliant mechanic that the author has brought to it that there's never interaction between the players. Like, I, I've played a game of, i uh, specific, the Flying Temple, Pilgrim of the Flying Temple, whatever it was. So, and uh, we designed characters and never played them.
1: Well, so, and so,
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> so here's the thing:
1: not, not have you, not every jamless game you've played right. has been like that, right? No, but I've
0: encountered a few of them where there's been this character creation process, and then the, the design of the game is more about actually, practically authoring a story yeah. than playing the character. With Doe specifically, yeah. um, there, there's kind
3: of a history behind that. He originally. It originally was a role-playing game with characters, ownership, describing things like that. Uh, after a while, what he decided was he wanted just a simple way to tell stories to each other, mm-hmm. and that's how the game changed. And now it is effectively that. So it, it, maybe that was it wasn't the, sort of explained on tin. And here
1: and here's the, here's the thing that's was important to note. Was well, about that, right? but, like, but here's the true. thing that's important to note, right? Where uh, not every GMless game that we've all played here has done that. So it's not necessarily a, uh, it's not something that's tied to being, having a GM-less experience. Uh, this might be something where he decided that was his goal. Yeah. Uh, and certainly having GM-less games can allow for that style of game, so it can lean in that direction. Uh, but it's another design choice.
4: Okay. And perhaps then in descriptions of the game, it's important to distinguish between um, collaborative storytelling, mm-hmm. collaborative storytelling role play. Because like, um, you know, Once Upon a Time, yeah, the yeah. card game, uh, that's really the point of it is just to be able to use cards. And it
2: has a great deal of resemblance to Doe, honestly, the way that the mechanics he, work. Yeah.
4: Played, I haven't played Doe, yeah. so I'm not a summary with the game, uh, other than what <coughs> he told me about his game. Too. But the point of Once Upon a Time is to just use the cards to collaboratively yeah. tell a story, right. but you're not interacting in the way that we think of Role
2: play interaction. Right. Uh, there's there's no free role play basically. Right.
4: Right. And, and I think and that that's, as long as you make that distinction and people know what they're getting into. Yeah.
5: Then you're who would fine. be familiar with that distinction? Uh, general market would uh, be fairly familiar with the differences between the categories of board games. And if you're if you're role player, those distinctions
0: automatically have a lot of meaning. Yeah.
5: So that's
1: going to depend on uh, what pro- what's your product, uh, what who's your audience. Uh, where's your game going to be sold? Because depending on those t- situations, and you're right, uh, that's going to that's gonna give you an idea of what people may or may not know, and that will help determine the kind of language you use to describe
4: things. If it was me, I'd be trying to communicate that as strongly as possible yeah. on the back cover Well, Definitely.
2: I don't think that's a bad thing but you know you say what your game is said it
0: was a role playing game I think it just said it's a game of... yeah yeah, yes. right? yeah yeah and that might be just a fault of you know coming to the con and somebody putting in a description and saying a role-playing game absolutely crazy. and that yeah. might yeah. have anything to do with not the person who wrote it yeah it's right.
2: most
5: of the branding for these things are done by uh, the market itself and the people who play the games, not the right. author. So The
2: thing about know. Fiasco is Fiasco is a role-playing game because i have right. role-played in yeah. Fiasco. Oh, I, I don't feel like Fiasco is just a storytelling game. You are actually, you have a character and one of your jobs is to actually portray that character I'm which sorry. is what qualifies and it I as a role-playing really, game. I think really in the
5: me. segments when you are playing the character it is pure role play. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's so basically
2: it's free-form play. role-play. That's all that's yeah. going on, right? Everything that's going on is, there's no mechanic that tells you what you can and can't do in Fiasco apart from... The guidelines of the setting, right? So, And
1: so yeah. here's the thing. To speak to uh, clear communication, which I'm also a huge uh, fan of, is uh, uh, Terry, who's in the audience, and I uh, run lots of conventions in, in uh, New York City, uh, uh, gaming conventions, and we take a lot of uh, survey data and, and observe how people interact with the games that uh, we put on offer. And we've noticed that there are things uh, in the general audience uh, that people care about. So, for example, uh, people care about is a game cooperative, is it competitive, right? Like, that's a huge thing yeah. that people use to, to determine, I mean, even role-playing games, right? Like, just, like, is, is, is it, some people, it's not just, like, they avoid competitive. A lot of people avoid cooperative, right? right? Uh, they just want to know that up front. People want to know, is this a game where I have to make up stuff on the fly? Like, and different people have terms, for, different terms for that, but ultimately, some people call it. Am I having to improv? Am I have to story tell? Like some people don't feel comfortable with that because some people feel like if I'm playing a character, I'm just reacting, right? I don't have to make stuff up on right. the fly. Mm-hmm. It's uh, low creative uh, pressure, right? Uh, you know. So there are a lot of things like that that people. Uh, is this game uh, serious? Is it silly? Is it mature, dark? Mm-hmm. Those are kinds of things that people want to know. Uh, and yeah, so better communication is great. And again, this comes down to your goals. And that's the same thing with GMless. Do you have a GM? Is it GMless? Uh, we run lots of games where we have multiple GMs. Right. That's another form of uh, taking what's uh, standard or uh, historically traditional and playing with it. Right. I mean, even the original uh, Dungeons and Dragons Red Box. You have a mapper right, who's in charge of mapping things, and you have a caller, right, so, like, you are, they're already, like, distributing things in ways that people now think is, like, innovative new, and meanwhile was, like, part of the core hobby when it started, right, where it's, like, you have a bunch of players trying to decide what they're going to do, and one of the players gets to decide if we go left or right, right? Right?
2: He's supposed to base that decision on what the other players are saying, but that person is the one who's directly who's, who's yes. the one who's directly
3: communicating That's the team.
2: one who's the definitive word of what's happening to
1: the GM, right? And, and so here's the thing though Like that was not an arbitrary choice uh, and I think that uh, especially since we're at a game designers uh, conference, it's important to bring this back to design and choice and so forth. Right. And the reason uh, one of the reasons that I'm aware of at least that was chosen is because back in the day, you would have a game of D and D with ten players, fifteen players, or more, and in that situation, that's a lot for a GM to keep track of and deal with, and so forth. So the role of a caller is very useful because the GM can deal with their set of responsibilities, and the caller can deal with figure out what the players are doing and then communicate it back to the GM. Right. So again, awesome game design. Um, okay.
2: One thing um, I occasionally hear people describe as Diacho, yeah, so it's not a GM-less game, it's a game where everyone is a GM-full? GM right. GM-full. <laughs> right. And so is there, is it the same thing, or is there a
0: difference there between a game that's GM-less and GM-full?
2: Well, I think you could actually have a technically GM-less game. So if, if the rules themselves were strict and did all of those GM tasks if you if you all you had to do was follow the rules, all those GM ta- tasks would be performed. I mean, choose your own adventure is right. is basically. Or I hear about
0: mythics
2: sometimes. Right. I mean, I mean that's a crappy example because you're there's only one person playing it, but that's basically what's going on there, right? There's a GM. It's just the book, right? So.
1: <laughs> and and a lot of and a lot of people uh, will especially people who've been role playing a long time uh, with the same game group will we'll sometimes uh, argue that uh, game design or system doesn't matter, right? For example, they're like, oh, my gaming group can take any game, and we just do whatever, and it's great. And, uh, and it's often true for that gaming group. And But part of what's happening is that uh, system doesn't matter because in their case, the GM is the system.
2: The group is the system. And the group is the system. Yeah, the group is basically... Set up these roles, and no matter what game they plug into it, that's what's happening. Their their output is the same, because they have decided how they're going to run games, and that's how they run
1: them. And it's uh, it's really important to, uh, when people are talking about these terms, to separate out uh, agenda, right? Are, is someone saying this stuff from a marketing perspective? Like jamless is the hot new thing. I'll call my game jamless too, right? Is it a marketing thing? Is it a political thing? I hate jamless games. I'm going to call that game jamless because I fucking hate it, right? Uh, <laughs> is it is it is it is it a, a, a goal, right? Like maybe like someone was designing their game and they found that like I end up distributing most of, all of these tasks, and the one thing the GM was doing is not enough to really be entertaining for one player. So I'm going to distribute it, and that's what makes sense for my personal game, with the choices that I've made, and for my goals. These are all different things, and sometimes all of this kind of gets confused and becomes noise. So when people talk about this, it helps to ask questions and be very clear. What exactly are we saying? right? What are you saying and why? What's your agenda? And cut through the crap, figure out what's right for you, get to the details, and make an informed decision. Um, are we, can we
3: move on to a, a slightly interesting well, we'll decide so if We'll it's decide if it's interesting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to know um, uh, the design goals and the reasons uh, for the choice of GM list,
0: uh, for your game. Okay. J'cuse! Wow, he just <laughs> turned around and put the spotlight on you. I don't see that coming. Um, so
3: you're working on one, so, so what's it about and, and why do you go for a Yeah, so uh, the of a
5: storytelling role-playing game, mm-hmm. um,
1: hopefully in the vein of the Fiasco.
5: Although I certainly don't claim that it's anywhere near that lovely yet. But um, it will be. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, about coming for your morning star. <laughs> <laughs> that was your only warning. <laughs> yeah.
2: These days, any young punk thinks he can come up. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs>
5: but I am cowardly and I have a sister that I have to take care of or whatever, each of those is a card. Mm-hmm. The idea being that you would you would shuffle those up and uh, players would tell the next scene based on what cards are out, right? And it just, there was no purpose for a GM in that environment. Like, they serve no role because everything that's already
3: happening um, is being handled by the player. So on your turn, you're affected. Uh, Does the game last for like pretty much much like one session or or is it a campaign length
5: game? Uh, I've been running it as a one off here, but I'm designing it so that it can be an ongoing campaign. Um, I'm actually trying to model it off of a a TV series, right? So each session would be one episode. Oh, okay. You could could try to develop your characters by changing what cards to find your characters. But again, for a GM, because basically on your turn you are effectively the GM, um, and it's actually more collaborative than that. Because if you, if you suggest, okay, maybe this happens, and somebody somebody else can jump in and say, well, maybe maybe it's a like that, but it's a little bit different. What if it's like this? Okay, and, you know, because, because the true. idea is not necessarily to because if I say, okay, and your character does this, and you're just like, no, 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 my character wouldn't do that. Like that's not the point of the game. The point of the game is just to try and make.
1: Awesome. Uh, the, uh, how much <laughs> time do we have? Just really quick. Uh, wow, 10, Ten minutes. Ten, 10 minutes, great. Uh, I just also want to say that a lot of this uh, is also spreading. You know, you see board games, right, where, like, a lot of what's happening in the board game is handled by the actual, like, rules, and you just concentrate on playing a certain kind of thing. Even if it's, like, mm-hmm. us against the board, like, the pandemic is like that where it's a cooperative game and, and you're like, kind of like an adventuring party but you're playing against the system itself. Uh, and A lot of uh, Nordic LORPs, they've taken the traditional GM uh, responsibilities and spread them out by turning them into uh, meta techniques that different people can use. So, for example, there's a technique called Bird in Ear. So at, uh, pretty much anybody can go up to someone and whisper a thought or <coughs> feeling that pops up in their head but they have full agency in what they do with it. It's a momentary uh, thought that you have, but you can just ignore it, right? Oh, why is that person looking at me that way? You can let that feed into a big conflict, or you can just say that was weird, and then like let it build up and there's tension and everything. But what's interesting about that is anybody can be watching what's going on, especially from a LARP perspective, there might be a lot of people all over the place, too many people for a, a handful of GMs to keep track of, so that way, different people could be watching, seeing opportunities for creating drama, and then they can use these meta techniques that traditional a GM would have and then use them on the spot, right? Uh, what's awesome about role-playing is that, uh, one, it's, I mean, obviously super fun, but uh, in terms of designing games, is it's easier and easier than ever to find players, play test ideas. Uh, you, with things like Kickstarter, you can raise money uh, if something costs uh, money to produce, Uh, You can publish things practically free. You can use Google Plus Hangouts to play with people anywhere in the world. I mean, the opportunities are amazing. The fact that we have conventions like Minutopia here where you can come to panels like this and meet people with uh, similar ideas or ideas you've never experienced before. It's easier than ever to try anything. So I would encourage everyone to go without limits. Uh, Don't just do things because that's the way it's always been done. Experiment. Because there's so little to lose and a lot to gain. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm happy to end it right there.
5: Any more questions or
2: anything? No.
1: Cool. Bam. Hey, well, guys. thank you so Thanks, much, guys. guys. Yeah! yeah. You, became, you went from a
3: monster to a- moderate What happened? I was expecting no. chairs to be thrown. Yeah. I know. I, you
1: know, I just, I don't like to pre-play. I just go with what makes sense <laughs> to <me>. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you,
3: got you took a card said moderate
1: and uh, warm well, spirit. That's right. Playback. I do. I, I was respectful of what the game's theme was enforcing in the moment.
0: Wow. I did like how some of the narrative control of the Right. <laughs> that, that was Brennan that was Brendan's idea. <laughs> actually, yeah, that's morning star you can call
3: why don't you do this? Right. Like, yes, sir. We're like, we will Morningstar. Yeah. we star. were
4: facilitators.
1: We were facilitators. We were hosts
4: and facilitators. hosts and facilitators. Some more hosty and facilitatory than others. <laughs> what the hell is that about? <laughs> I don't even know what that means actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you gave us wine. I know. It's very host-like of you.
2: I like to keep my audience happy. You're right.
4: I missed the wine. Yeah, you <laughs> I wouldn't have given you any anyway.